The following content is provided by MIT OpenCourseWare under a Creative Commons license. Additional information about our license and MIT OpenCourseWare in general is available at ocw.mit.edu. I have what I think of as a couple of fascinating questions that I will um, use to occupy us for the next, for the last couple of lectures of the course. Um, in, in the context of talking about sleep and dreams, I, I, I mentioned that the, the, the drive, the hunger drive is strong, but it's not so strong that if you wanted to, um, you couldn't starve yourself to death. But an interesting question would be, why a, an otherwise healthy adolescent girl would do that? And why in doing that, she would argue um, uh, vociferously that there was nothing wrong with her and that she wasn't hungry, even while starving herself um, potentially to death. Um, that's, that's one question. That will occupy probably today. Um, you'll see that I did handouts for both this lecture and the next lecture rolled together in case I get to the next one today. The second question um, is, well, you might, uh, you, you might have found the evolutionary psych argument about uh, asymmetries between the, uh, uh, between the sexes in terms of what they want in relationships to be reasonably compelling. That argument about um, guys wanting to uh, uh, prop well, everybody wanting to propagate their genes, but because women get pregnant and are thus tied up with the baby for an extended period of time, that you end up with an asymmetry that would cause males to want um, uh, more sex more often with more partners than women. Um, you might have found that appealing, um, at least as, a, as an intellectual um, construct. But how would we explain, would that explain, how might it explain why at least uh, some males end up engaging in coercive sexual behavior? Sexual behavior that does not appear to be consensual between, um, between the partners. And that's what's going to occupy us for the, uh, for the last lecture of the course. Now these are very different problems. The problem of eating disorders on the one hand and, and um, coercive sexual behavior or more colloquially date rape on, on, the, on the other side. Um, but they do have some interesting parallels one with the other. Uh, uh, they are, they, these are outlined a bit in the, I guess in the abstract part of, um, of the handout. They're both um, problems that are gender specific. Uh, the overwhelming uh, number of eating disorder patients are female. And the overwhelming number of um, people who get into, into trouble um, for, or, you know, brought up on charges of in, in, in coercive sexual behavior cases, for instance, um, are male. So they're gender specific. That's, uh, that's of some interest. Um, they are both... They both serve a useful function at the end of the course because they're both useful for, uh, for bringing back theme after theme that we've seen throughout the, uh, um, throughout the course. Uh, themes like 
you know, the, the, the revisiting, you know, is it nature, is it nurture? Um, you know, is it biology or is, is, is it uh, uh, sociology? And the answer always turns out to be, uh, or often turns out to be, that these are complicated um, interactions and the problems of eating disorders and, and coercive sex turn out to be particularly rich um, interactions between a number of, uh, of factors. Um, and by the same token, neither of them is uh, well dealt with in any simple-minded, oh, give them a pill, for instance, kind of, uh, of way. And they're both what could be described as, um, as, as being successful disasters. I'll elaborate on that later, but, but uh, both of them are, in a perverse sense, successful behaviors, and in a more obvious sense, um, disasters, unsuccessful. So let me, um, uh, well, let, 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 let me start by, by sketching a, uh, uh, a portrait of what would be one, a, a typical patient uh, with a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa. The term simply means, anorexia means a lack of appetite. Nervosa is just what you stick on when uh, it, it, it's of nervous origins. It's a, a, you, know, it, it's, it's, uh, you could have called it psychogenic or something like that. It, it, it's, uh, um, it just means a loss of appetite that you're not going to explain um, by some organic cause. Um, a typical patient would be an adolescent girl, say 14, 15, 16, um, who gets brought typically by her family to the doctor, um, very skinny. Un uh, part of the characteristics you can see on the, on the clinical criteria for, for the diagnosis, um, part of the characteristic is a, a, a refusal to maintain what's considered a normal body weight. So maybe you know, for height and, uh, her height and age, she should weigh about 100 pounds. She might come in weighing 75 pounds, looking to all the world um, like uh, she is emaciated. Looking to all the world but one like she's emaciated. One of the characteristics is a, um, uh, well, I think it's on the handout, is yes, distortion of body image. A denial that you're actually skinny. And it's not just... Um, you know, a, a, some sort of a, uh, a, a, a cranky, you know, you know did, did, what, did, what did you get in, in, in biology this term? Now, did, you, did you flunk biology this term? No, I didn't flunk biology this term. When you can see on the report card that it says F or something like that. It's not that kind of, of, of denial. It's almost like a perceptual disorder um, where uh, a, a young girl who looks to everybody else like she is um, a famine victim, looks at herself in the mirror and says, I look fat. She, as, as though she was seeing something that literally um, wasn't there. Um, this is combined with an intense fear of, of being fat, of being overweight. Um, and, and one of the official diagnostic criterion is a cessation of menstrual cycles for more than um, three months. There was an interesting article. Bo, you sent it around, right? The, 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 did you send around the, the New York Times thing about Ednos? Um, the, uh, an interesting article in the New York Times science section last week um, pointing out one of the problems in psychiatric diagnosis. Suppose you got a patient, 15 years old, skinny as a rail, um, intense fear of being... Uh, 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 being fat um, says she looks fat and 
her, her monthly cycles are irregular, but they've never disappeared for a full three months. Under the official rules of the game, you can't give her a diagnosis of, uh, of anorexia because she doesn't meet all the diagnostic criteria. Clearly has an eating disorder. What you end up uh, labeling her as is eating disorder not otherwise specified. Ednos is the official category for this. Um, it's, it's an issue, uh, it becomes an issue in, in, the, uh, um, in the economics of healthcare. Because what you can get reimbursed for, what you can treat for, are real diseases. You can't, I mean, reasonably enough, you can't go to your doctor and say, you know, uh, I want a pile of drugs and therapy that I want somebody else to pay for because, uh, be, 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 because uh, I, 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 I hate my calculus TA pathologically. Right? Yeah, okay. You know, you can't just decide that, yeah, but you can just decide that you're ill in some fashion. Or you can't just walk in and, 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 and say, you know, I want you to treat me. Um, I, I, I desperately need you to, to change the shape of my nose, and I, you know, I'm not thrilled with my rear end, and, 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 and you know, I kind of want you to reshape my whole body because, because you know, I just, my, my body, it's just not right. Yeah, you, know, you have to get a diagnosis of you know body dysmorphic disorder or something like that before you can persuade the third-party payers to do it. Anyway, in psychiatric land, this is a big problem because it's it's very difficult to come up with. You know, there's no blood test, right? You can, if, if if you've got polio, there's a polio virus somewhere to look for. If you've got an eating disorder, there's not. And, and so exactly how to label people is a, is, is a substantial problem, um, but I'm not going to say more about it. In any case, um, it's, uh, so, so you, you've got, here's, here's a patient, is an interesting, uh, this, this disorder is, is, is interesting as an interplay of, of mind and body in many, many ways. Part of the reason that it's interesting is because um, there are all sorts of psychiatric consequences that just arise from the fact that this, uh, this girl, and I'll stick with it being a female patient because it's a, uh, anorexia is about 8 to 1, 9 to 1 female, um, because she's starving herself. For instance, starving yourself is depressing. You be, uh, if you are really hungry, you also tend to have, have more symptoms of clinical depression. Is depression part of the eating disorder? Pattern, which you know, is 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 it uh, is it part of the pathology or is it a side effect of of the pathology? In any case, it is not an uncommon disorder. Um, point prevalence is jargon for saying if I go and look at a population at this point in time, how many people have the disorder I'm looking for? And if you look at a population of young women, the point prevalence of anorexia is about half of a percent. If you broaden it to this ednos, eating disorder, not otherwise specified category, that can go up to anywhere between 2 and 5%, depending on what you read. Um, if you look at prevalence rates, as I say, they're about 8 to 1 female to, uh, to male. So it's very heavily uh, female disorder. Um, and, um, and it's a dangerous disorder. Uh, in 
for patients with full-blown full blown anorexia diagnosis, the mortality rate can be as high as about 5%. That's very high for a disorder of a population that's otherwise, you know, health, you know young, healthy women. Um, what kills you, by the way, is not, um, uh, not starving to death, but, but things like heart attack. Um, your, the electrolytes get uh, in your, uh, your, your electrolytes get to be so out of balance that, that uh, your heart fails to work and things of that sort. It is also a disorder like, uh, in a sense, like multiple personality disorder that has changed greatly in its um, uh, frequency in the population in, um, in historical time, like the last 40 years. Um, it's different from multiple personality disorder in that this change may be a real change in incidence. Remember, the argument was that in multiple personality disorder, um, dissociative disorder had been there all along and that multiple personality was merely the way that it manifests itself, that the, dissoci the dissociative disorder manifested itself in, um, in modern Western um, culture. Um, in the case of eating disorders, it rarely may be that the disorder is itself more frequent um, than, it, than it's been in the past. Um, it is certainly a... Uh, um, it depends on what society you are in. It was characteristically, oh, you know, as, even as recently as probably 20 years ago, it was absolutely characteristically a disease of middle-class white girls. Um, it has since managed to um, embrace diversity and, um, and uh, reach out to other groups in, in Western culture. For instance, virtually unknown in Japan um, until fairly recently, but now is a disorder showing up in, in Japan. I think I just read something that even more recently now starting to show up in, uh, in mainland China. Um, where it was unknown. One of the requirements for a good eating disorder population, by the way, is a culture where there's lots of food. You don't have people with eating disorders of this sort in, um, in famine. You, know, you, you, you can be 75 pounds when you're supposed to be 100 pounds because there isn't enough food, but it's not because you're, you're refusing to, uh, to maintain your body weight. Um, so it, it is a disorder of a society that is um, feeding everybody, uh, that would be able to feed everybody successfully. Um, so where does this come from? What's its etiology? What are the risk factors that, 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 that contribute here? Um, I, there are, I, I can tell it must be time to flip pages on the handout, right? Look at that. What's the causes? Um, and it reminds me to, uh, about to, to, to caution, um, to step back for a couple of cautions. The primary caution here is um, that this is not um, intended to be talking about uh, you specifically. Um, because, well, all right, here, but let's jump ahead. Um, we can say stuff about... Um, the, uh, uh, the, again, typically the girl who is a patient. Um, there are characteristics that, not, not every, you know, it's a big wide distribution as usual, but we can say something about where the, where, where, where the, the, the sort of typical patient might lie. Typically, she is um, uh, 
adolescent, shortly, at, you know, sometime after the onset of puberty is, 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 is the uh, sort of risk period for the onset of, of anorexia typically, uh, described as a good girl, something of a perfectionist, the one who never gave any trouble. And now you should be immediately able to see why I put this caution in that I'm not talking about you. Who in the world gets to MIT by being a, a bad, evil, non-perfectionist? Well, you know, there's a couple of you here maybe who, you know, just got through because you're brilliant, bad, evil, non-perfectionist or something like that. But the rest of you spent your, those, those, those adolescent years um, being very, those of you who were women, the rest of you didn't spend your time being women, um, but, but um, you know, you spent your time being good and doing your homework and not raising a lot of trouble and stuff like that. Oh, great. Now, let's talk about the family a bit. The family, this is, it's an interesting disorder because it's interesting, it, it turns out to be important to talk about the family. If you are dealing with a lot of other uh, health issues, your family background is of some interest, particularly for sort of genetic reasons, Um, but the structure of your family is typically not desperately important. Here it may really be important. The family, again, wide range possible, but the typical family would be one that's described as, what have I got here, overprotective and um, also perfectionist, achievement-oriented, and you're sitting there saying, oh my God, not only was I good, but my family, they're overprotective. And, and, and they're achievement-oriented. And when I said that, you know, what I really wanted to do was go to the community college, they, 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 they locked me in my room for three days until I finished the MIT application and stuff. Um, you know, this, this, this is our history. These are our people. We know them. Um, the, the other characteristic, to introduce a little piece of jargon here, um, the families are described as enmeshed. Um, this is a piece of jargon that I understand well because I come from an, a, a, a family that, that is beautifully described, you know, beautifully fits the enmeshed idea. I don't understand how my sisters got through their, their um, you know, youth without an eating disorder because if I, every year when I talk about this, if I talk about the risk factors, you know, it just sounds like my family. Um, our nice achievement-oriented, enmeshed family. Enmeshed means a family where people, uh, imagine a family uh, like yours maybe, where people finish each other's sentences and stuff like that. They're, they're sort of all over each other. Um, it, psych, psychologically, they know um, you know what uh, what they want. They know what you want, and everybody. You know, look, the place to see it in in the Wolf family. Um, as as my my wife, who of course married into this, found out, is go out to dinner with them. You don't want to do this because it's pathological. First, you got to decide where to go for dinner, right? So everybody gets together, you decide where to go to dinner. You've almost got a consensus. You're going to go to, like, legal seafood or something. At which point one of us, it might well be me, points out, my mother doesn't really like fish. Is my mother fussing about this? No, my mother's perfectly happy to go along with what everybody else wants. But, you know, I'll say, you know, but, but mom doesn't like fish. Well, actually, these days I would say, but Gaga doesn't like fish. My eldest child, when he was a, a, a toddler, named my mother Gaga, and that's been her name ever since, in the, which, which is, you know, she deals with it. Um, anyway, um, so 
All right, so, all right, we got to cancel that one. So now the whole conversation starts again. And you can do this for hours. Right? If my, Julie, my spouse, learned that the best thing to do, particularly if we're like out somewhere, you're wandering around trying to decide where to go to a restaurant, is just drop about five, six paces back. You just don't want to be in this conversation. But eventually, eventually we'll end up at a restaurant. At which point, everybody's ordering for everybody else. And is ordering stuff that um, they don't necessarily want to eat. But they think somebody else might want to eat. My mother is the queen of this. My mother will, 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 will order things she doesn't even like because she thinks one of her children wants to try it or something like that. And, and this is still true now that her children are in their late 40s, right? Yeah. It's, it's okay, Ma. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not starving anymore. Um, anyway, that's enmeshed. And that, um, the, the, these, uh, these families are also characteristically... Um, intolerant of expressions of, 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 of conflict and anger. It's not that there aren't conflicts in these, in, in these settings, but the family will, will act as a unit to smooth them out. This is not a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a dramatic family where people throw crockery at each other um, and, and, and then uh, you know, in Act 5 they all hug or something like that. This is a family where um, if there's an issue, it's, it, it's dealt with in some quiet, perhaps even subterranean kind of a way. Um, so um, so those, that, that, that's sort of the, 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 the patient and, and, and the family. And, uh, and, and then you've got to ask, in a, uh, given a disorder that has been a disorder of um, Western middle class culture, you've got to ask what it is about the culture that might be contributory here. Again, that's, uh, yeah, there, there are other situations in which um, uh, the, the broader environment is important, like is it putting stress on, 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 on you in some sort of global kind of a way, but here the, the specific demands of the culture turn out to be of particular interest, um, and the particular demand that, um, that people focus on is the degree to which um, American culture, or more broadly Western culture, is simultaneously obsessed with both food and thinness. This is a difficult combination, right? So, um, what's what's the? How do we know that you're that, that this is a culture obsessed with thinness? Um, one of the most telling ways is to take a look at um, the so the ideals of female beauty. What is it that that makes uh, that that the society as a whole declares to be beautiful in um, in women um, and um, if you do uh, something like, I don't know if, the, the, I should check if there's a cool website for this. Um, if you just line up the pictures of Miss America, for instance, um, over the last uh, uh, you know, 50, 60 years, if you take a look at Miss America from the 1940s, you would agree that she's a perfectly attractive looking woman, but you'd think she looks a little chunky. Um, she, there's a lot more on her 
than, um, than would be the case for, uh, for a modern Miss America or a modern, uh, op- open up a, 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 a fashion magazine at random and look at the models, um, much skinnier than the ideal would have been a couple of generations ago. Or take a look at um, that, uh, one that, was, uh, that I learned about when my children became big fans of the James Bond movies. So in every James Bond movie, there's the girl, right? She's been getting a lot skinnier over the years. If you go back to the early ones, I don't know how many of you are great James Bond aficionados, but if you go back and look at at a movie like Goldfinger, I will not recite all the names of the characters because they're all bad, lewd puns, I'm realizing as I'm thinking about this, but if you, if you go back and, 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 and look at, the, at, at the, the, the girl in Goldfinger um, or, or in Dr. No or something like that, you will find again, she, that's from the early 60s, mid-60s, you'll find that she looks you know, a perfectly attractive woman, but again, there's more of her than there would be in, who was the, who was the, the tart in the most recent, well, they actually, they, Haley Berry, yes, nothing there, right? She's pretty skinny. The, um, uh, though, there's, there's been a, in, in, a, a, an, another move in the, in the James Bond thing, which is an interesting thing in its own right, which is that uh, the, they, still, they still have to end up together by the end of the movie, but they're getting a lot crankier about the whole business. Right? They, it's, it's like they get into this movie and they realize that by the end of the movie, I've got to, you know be in one of those silly scenes with whoever is playing Bond this week, but he's a jerk, really. But anyway, that's a separate issue. Anyway, they've been getting skinnier and skinnier. Um, Barbie has been skinny forever, but gets blamed, uh, you know, is, is held up literally as an icon for this problem. You know, women do not look like Barbie. If you scale Barbie up to, um, uh, uh, to human size, there are serious biomechanical problems that ensue, apparently. Um, somebody wrote a marvelous, there's a great engineering piece on that somewhere that I saw once upon a time. There, there, there are cantilevering problems and all, anyway, all sorts of very bad problems with Barbie if you scale her up. Um, so, but the notion is that, that, the, that, that the ideal of what is beautiful has been getting skinnier and skinnier. At the same time, there has been this surge in uh, both the availability and the diversity of food available. So you're, you're, you're expected to be skinny while plunked down at the, uh, at, at the spectacular all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, you can imagine that there are a certain amount of problems there. There are specific populations, and these are unsurprising specific populations, where you see higher than average rates of um, uh, eating disorders. So, for instance, gymnasts um, are, uh, eating disorders are overrepresented in that population. Um, If you're looking for male uh, eating disorder patients, a great place to look is um, in uh, in the uh, wrestling population. Why is that? Well, if you're wrestling in a weight class uh, and you have to be exactly this weight, 
particularly since there's a pressure to, to wrestle in, a, in, a, in, in the lightest weight class you can sort of get away with, there's going to be a lot of pressure um, well, of the sort that, that, that's similar to this uh, um, pressure that you might imagine being ap- uh, applied by an ideal of female beauty that, that's, that's, um, that's very skinny. Um, so there are these pressure. Yes, yes, yes. In wrestling, they also have the idiosyncrasy that they measure you some number of hours before the actual match. Yeah, yeah. There are all sorts of reasons why this is not inclined to produce wholesome eating behavior, um, as I understand it. Um, my, my own personal wrestling career. Um, <laughs> why are they all laughing? Um, well, you know, it's, 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 it's only mildly, well, I suppose maybe it's completely hilarious. You know, the, 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 the fa- it was clear that I wasn't going to wrestle heavyweight, right? But, you know, the, the world is full of these, you know, little, little tough guys as opposed to just merely little guys. <laughs> Kristen, <laughs> that letter I was writing for you... <laughs> It's really bad when the people in your lab are the ones who are becoming hysterical. In this. <laughs> anyway, um, I might as well complete this embarrassing story. Uh, no, high, high school, high school wrestling. Um, high, high school wrestling was uh, was was the, the gym teachers were always weird people, um, and 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 so. High school wrestling, you had to wrestle by weight class, right? That made sense. But 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 our our guy thought it was like a circle. So you wrestled the guy next to you in weight. Well, if you were the lightest guy, it's going to be a hoot. Let's get him to wrestle the heaviest guy. <laughs> Which was actually okay because the heaviest guy was just about as athletically talented as I was. Um, and and the, the, the major danger was that he would fall on me, right? Because then, <laughs> then it was just going to be all over. So he's, I'm, 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 I'm this, you know, athletics was not my strong suit. So there was no danger that I was going to do him any serious damage. Um, and, there was, and, and there was no serious danger that as long as he didn't fall on me, I was going to get hurt. So I, I, I figured out a way to get on his back and sort of rode him around <laughs> for a while. Um, and, and did sort of manly things that looked like I might be trying to flip him, but that wasn't ever going to happen. The, uh, it, was, it was a great moment. Um, made, made greater, of course, by the fact that, that, uh, that this was popular. Uh, uh, never mind. Um, we're, we, no, I should continue. This, this was also, he was, uh, um, this, this was full of, this guy, a deeply homophobic um, gym teacher, who also uh, was fond of explaining that um, how hard you wrestled was w- showed whether you were a real guy. Um, and and anyway, it, it goes it goes downhill from there. Um, so in any case, the uh, where were we? Oh yes, uh, wrestle, this is this explains why my wrestling career did not produce any eating disorders in my case. Um, so there are these societal or or specific. Um, cultural factors that might be pushing one towards these sort of disorders. Um, and, and then there are, then there's the question of whether or not there's a biological factor there. Is there some sort of a genetic predisposition um, towards this? Um, the sorts of things that people point to are um, data, for instance, that there are, there, there's, there are family histories of depression 
more depression showing up in uh, eating disorder in, in, the, in the families of eating disorder patients than in the general population. There's also more depression in eating disorder patients themselves, but as I've said, that's hard to um, disentangle from the effects of, of starvation, that that itself produces um, uh, dis, uh, uh, problems. Um, in any case, there are... Uh, the, the, well, actually, there is... One thing that is potentially a, uh, a biological underpinning uh, has nothing to do with the brain at all, um, but is simply, well, in, in, um, in, in uh, uh, diet land, these are known as set point issues, um, th- there's a notion that people uh, come with some sort of uh, weight that, that is sort of the weight that they are set for. The little thermostat in the hypothalamus is set to say, you know, you're going to be 180 pounds or whatever. You can push this around, but this is, this is where we, we want to be. It's related to the fact that, that, that uh, there are certainly genetic factors that are making you one body shape versus another body shape. And if you are one shape and you're feeling strongly pressured to be another shape that is not the shape that you were sort of built to be, that's considered to possibly be a biological factor pushing people towards, uh, um, toward, towards eating disorder. That, that, that's not a factor that, that, that's not like the, the sort of factors we're thinking about as, a, as a, uh, a, a genetic predisposition to something like schizophrenia. That's really an interaction of, of, of body type with these, these sort of cultural um, cultural pressures. All right, so you've got stuff, you've got characteristics of of family, uh, patient, the culture as a whole, possibly biological underpinnings. How might all of this contribute to producing um, an an, an actual disorder? One way to think about this is to think about it as as a trap that uh, that some subset of, of girls fall into. Not consciously, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, gee, I think I'll have an eating disorder. Um, but the, the unconscious uh, process might run something like the following. Um, you hit puberty. So, all right, so you've been this sort of perfectionist good girl um, all along. Um, you hit puberty. Um, and that's sort of a time that, that stretches uh, or strains perfection altogether. Um, your, be, being perfect requires a certain amount of self-control, and you may recall the, 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 you know, the, the, the sort of wash of hormones that accompanies the onset of puberty is not particularly good for, for um, self-control. So the, the sense of control is, is, is not what it used to be, your body is changing in ways that, that, that you don't control. And you're in this family where the set of ways that you can act out is very limited. There are lots of ways um, that, that to, to deal, to, to, sort of to act out in, in, in adolescence, but you're in a family where most of them are sort of not, not sanctioned. Um, so one way to sort of re-exert a sense of control, a very culturally endorsed one is, well, let's go on a diet, right? The percentage of women in this country on diets at any time is huge, and that goes down to schoolgirl age, you know, uh, and, the, 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 and if you ask, um, yeah, you go and talk to uh, 
uh, middle school boys about, you know, diet. Yeah. You know, sort of grunt at you or something. You go talk to middle school girls about diet and they can talk your ear off. Whether or not they're on some sort of a diet, they know all about it. And then, you know, this and that. It's, 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 it's there. In fact, you, you might go on a diet endorsed by mom. My mom might say, you're, you're looking a little chunky. And, and you know, let's, we can do it together. It's a mother-daughter kind of thing. Well, you know, particularly since, you know, we're really enmeshed here anyway. Um, all right, well, you can sort of imagine that a perfectionist on a diet um, under the right circumstances could be uh, a, 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 a recipe for uh, disaster. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like MIT and sleeping. You know, people out there say, all right, I need to do a little extra work so I'll stay up an extra hour. MIT student says, I don't need to sleep. You know? Most people out in the world say, ah, diet, okay, we'll cut out the, uh, the double dip, uh, the, the double, you know, double stuffed Oreos, and, and okay, we won't deep fry the pizza. Um, and, 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 uh, that's, and, 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 and you, you, this perf- hypothetical perfectionist says, water, lettuce and water, that'll work. Right. So anyway, you can imagine that the diet could be, and, and what happens in, 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 when this is spiraling downward is that this diet can become increasingly severe. Um, and at some point it becomes an, uh, a, a, a real issue. It becomes a source of conflict in the family because um, it becomes clearly unhealthy. To, it's, it's clear to anybody except for the patient that this is unhealthy. But at that point... This is be, if you regard this as, as, as some sort of a, an assertion of autonomy, this is the last place where the, this girl has managed to find a place where she can carve out some place where, where she's in control. Now the family is saying, you can't do that either. And, and, and she draws the line. This is where I'm going to make my stand. Um, and um, and it, it, becomes, it, it can become... A, a, a clearly pathological state. Uh, people in, in full blast an- anorexia deny that they are hungry in spite of being strongly um, malnourished. Uh, the, the, the rituals around eating, the rituals that get built up around eating can be extremely elaborate and extremely time-consuming, along with, for instance, uh, very vigorous exercise regimens um, that, that, that uh, it, it basically it takes over your life. Plus, being starved not only makes you, uh, it, it tends to make you depressed, but um, it, it also can make you delusional in a variety of ways. So it's, it's clearly not a good place to be. So that's the sense in which it's a disaster. It's also, in a sense, um, the, the sense in which it's a success. This notion of it being a successful disaster, the notion, the, way, the sense in which it's a success is if you regard this as an issue about control in some sense. Um, the, the patient, the daughter, has managed to take control over the family. That wasn't her goal. But there's nothing like a, a, a life-threatening condition to galvanize the attention of, of, of a family. And here, um, in, this, in, in this clearly pathological way, um, the daughter has become the center of the family's attention. That this, this, this quiet, never caused any trouble, you know, bury the problems elsewhere 
daughter has now successfully taken over um, the family. The problem with that success is it's clearly desperately maladaptive and, and, and potentially dangerous. Well, what do you do? Um, as you can imagine, um, virtually every major uh, psychotherapeutic um, regimen has been tried in some fashion. The, 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 the punchline, the bottom line, is that um, my understanding of best practice is that nothing by itself works terribly well and that what, what you do is uh, some of everything. Um, now, what is everything? Well, one bit of everything is you, you've got to get um, the patient to eat. Often, by the time you've got an eating disorder patient who has reached the point of being in medical care, um, this is a, a, a potentially life-threatening situation, and the patients often get hospitalized. Um, under hospital settings, one of the things that works really well, and one of the things that was once upon a time touted as a magic you know, silver bullet cure, um, comes straight out of... Um, Skinner boxes and behaviorist uh, theory, you know, learning theory, and that is um, to set up the ward, well, basically as a giant Skinner box. Okay, there's stuff you want, right? You want to be able to call your friends? Good. Here's what you got to eat. You want to be able to um, uh, watch TV? Good. Here's the weight standard you have to reach. And so you set up a clearly defined set of rewards in response for eating behaviors, and it works very nicely in many cases. You can get people back up to weights that are appropriate for um, you know, age and height. Um, works just fine. Why isn't it a magic bullet? Well, what happens when you go out of the hospital? You go out of the hospital, you're back in the environment that produced the disorder, in some sense, um, and it tends to fall apart. The problem was that relapse rates were, uh, were very great. Um, the, um, well, so one of the things you're going to want to do is not just treat people aren't pigeons. You don't want to treat them just as pigeons. Um, you can train your pigeon to, to, to do whatever with a nice schedule of reinforcement, and probably that doesn't work too well when you release the pigeon into the wild either. Um, with a human, it's nice to talk to them. So psychotherapeutic approaches have been, you know, various forms of talk therapy have been tried. Freudian therapy centered around the idea that what, what the, 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 the core issue here was a fear of growing up um, in, in, the, in the sort of typical Freudian um, uh, tendency to sexualize everything under the sun. This gets described as, as a fear of, of, of pregnancy. Um, that, well, you know, if, if, if you manage to suppress um, menstrual cycles and things like that, you're not going to become pregnant. Um, and, and by starving yourself, your body will be more like that of, of, of a little girl. It's, it's a little like the, uh, um, uh, the, the, the sort of metaphoric senses of, try, of, of Snow White's evil stepmother trying to keep Snow White as a, as a little girl. But anyway, the Freudian notion was that, that there's a certain terror about getting older, uh, you know, growing up 
um, that, that, the, that the patients are dealing with. Um, just talking to them about it didn't turn out to be a huge success, in part because um, uh, patients who are that undernourished are a, a little like schizophrenic patients. They're not good candidates for psychoanalysis um, or for much other in the way of talking therapy. Delusional people are not great at insight. Um, and and um, so combining some sort of conversation, some sort of therapeutic conversation with something like the, the uh, behavioral modification technique, that helps. Um, there is evidence that uh, pharmacology helps. There is an obsessive quality to the thought processes of, of anorexic patients. Um, they're deeply obsessed with, with food. In fact, you, you get these fascinating case histories where um, the, the, the anorexic is doing all the cooking for the family. Right? She loves to cook for, for everybody. She just doesn't eat any of this. You know, absolutely obsessed with food, uh, swearing they're not hungry and, 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 uh, um, and engaging in elaborate rituals around eating. Um, you know, that's an obsessive kind of behavior that, is, uh, that, that turns out to be broken up um, by Prozac and similar drugs quite well. So one thing to do is to feed them a, uh, an antidepressant like Prozac, in part because they may be depressed and in part because it acts against the obsessive thoughts. Just feeding them uh, 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 an antidepressant by itself has no great track record. But, all right, let's combine a little antidepressant medication with a little behavior modification, a little talk therapy. This is all working. This, 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 this all might have uh, some... Uh, meat to it. One of the things that um, seems to be an interesting part of treatment regimens in eating disorders, more so perhaps than elsewhere, is it's often useful, in, in, in anorexia particularly, to talk with the family also. Because that family... There, there are actually... Um, there, there, there are clinicians who argue that... Um, that uh, anorexia is a disorder of the family where it just happens to be that the girl is the designated patient. That the family as a system is sick and that the daughter is showing the symptom. And that if you want to, uh, if you want to have this work out, um, that what you need to do is, is, to, treat the, uh, is, is to treat the family and, and get the family um, out of each other's faces uh, a little more and more willing to express uh, feelings to each other perhaps and things of that sort. Um, the prognosis is, um, is, is a little reminiscent of Anna O. if you, if, uh, you remember that story from, from the history of, of Freud's development. Anna O. Had, patient, had symptoms that Freud and Breuer could treat um, but when those were treated something new popped up. There's a flavor of that in, in when you read about case histories of, of anorexia that you can, uh, most patients recover, right? They, they become non-anorexic. But, uh, but the population sees more depression going forward than a typical pro population. The population sees more other eating disorders than a typical population. As if there's something that was not dealt with and exactly what that is, we clearly don't really know. Um, but that, 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 this, um, that, that anorexia was the particular crisis and that there are issues that may need to be uh, dealt with on, on, a, uh, 
on a long-term basis. Now, one of the disorders that, um, uh, that you can sort of progress to, if you like, um, not infrequently, or you can manage to generate it all by itself, is, is bulimia, or more technically, bulimia nervosa. Though it, it, anorexia nervosa gets called anorexia nervosa. Bulimia often just calls, gets called um, bulimia. Oh, did we just switch? Oh, look at that. We, it's so much fun to watch everybody go... Glad to know you're following along. Um, so uh, the, the bulimia is, is one of the reasons the follow-on disorder. Well, I don't know if it's a reason. Um, it's not surprising it's a follow-on disorder. It's characteristic of an older population. Um, typical onset in, uh, uh, in, in college age or 20s. Um, and and a, a, a different kind of... Uh, a, sort of a different story. Uh, So one important characteristic is these are patients typically who are outside of the family situation. They're not embedded in their family. They've gone off to college or they've gone off to work or something uh, of of that sort. Um, A bit insecure. Let's go back to this. We're not necessarily talking about you thing. A bit insecure. Right. Who isn't? The ones who aren't a little bit insecure are the people, you know, near and dear to us who are insufferable. Um, But... So, a little bit insecure, maybe, maybe a bit more insecure than usual. Uh, a bit impulsive. Um, what's impulsive? Uh, when you get the family history, you, uh, or, uh, sorry, the patient's history, you, you get uh, uh, anecdotes about, uh, you know, dumb impulsive things. Oh, I shop, you know, I, I, on a whim I shoplifted once. You know, it's not like I'm a, uh, a, a chronic shoplifter, but I, you, know, I, that dumb, you, you get sort of dumb single incident kind of things. Um, in these in these reports, um, and uh, not self esteem not great, and uh, wants to fit in, which of course qualifies for most of us also at least the wants to fit in part. Um, so the dilemma faced by this woman now living independently is that that the fitting in piece involves. Um, socializing, and the socializing involves a lot of uh, eating and drinking. Um, fitting in also involves, rather literally, fitting in to those, those genes or whatever that were designed for uh, some half-starved model in the fashion magazines somewhere. And so you've got this conflict between food and, 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 and thinness um, made, made quite concrete. And... Um, and these are, are, are patients who, in a sense, stumble on a trick. And the trick is that if you eat and then you get rid of the food, those calories don't end up on your hips. Right? So if you eat and then um, take a laxative or, or throw up, then, then you don't get the calories. Right? Now, that's a solution, but it's not a really great solution. It's not a great solution for any number of reasons. One of them is that, interestingly, it feels shameful. Um, now, it's, it, that's interesting because you could go on to a whole thing about why... You know, no, no, no I'm, I suppose no is probably too strong. A typical bulimic is not going to have a buddy bulimic who... You know, let, let, you know, let's go off and, and go to this party and eat and go throw up together. Um, I mean, it even sounds, it sounds weird. Oh, by the way, the, 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 this is not unknown culturally. Um, though I realized talking to my concourse class this morning that it's apparently much less known than I thought. Um, because my eight-year-old 
can tell you all about this. Um, but uh, in, in, in uh, Roman culture, sort of high Roman Empire culture, um, there, there, there were, I don't know how widespread this was, but certainly in, 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 the, in the orgy class, um, there was a, a custom of having these you know, very elaborate parties where you'd eat and eat and eat and then you couldn't eat anymore well but you wanted to keep eating so you went to the next room you threw up and you came back and you ate some more um, and 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 uh, so uh, they, they, there are even villas with rooms that are designated as the vomitorium um, and and so how many people knew about this Oh, yeah, all right. So it's, it's, it is a min- minority. And it's absolutely fascinating to a certain round of eight, eight-year-old boys um, who, who think this is, you know, really very interesting. Not something they want to try, thank you, but, but you know, ooh, that's really... Well, they're like other gross stuff. Anyway, the problem is that, first of all, it's, it's, it's not... It, it's, it's something that feels shameful and needs to be done in private. Um, it's not a... Um, uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's clearly a, a, a sort of an odd solution. So maybe you try a more mainstream solution. Let's go on a diet. And maybe it becomes a fairly severe diet. But um, unlike anorexics who deny their hunger and really don't seem to feel that hunger, bulimics feel hungry. They feel really hungry. And so the diet doesn't work. And, and what you end up with is that the diet breaks down at some point. You go off the diet, perhaps in some spectacular, bingy kind of a way. Well, that feels lousy too. And so, you, um, and so well, you figured out this trick once. Uh, you go and purge again um, in some fashion. Um, and, and that gives you some transient release from the shame of having broken the diet. But again, the, 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 the purging thing isn't, isn't, isn't great either. Um, but this can become, and in, in full blast bulimia, becomes a very ritualized behavior in its, in its own right. Actually, somebody was telling me that um, some, some bulimics um, plan things very carefully so that they eat the nutritive foods first... Um, and, and, and in, a, in a sort of a binging session and then finish up with the half gallon of ice cream and, and the jar of mayonnaise. I mean, the things you read people... Uh, seriously, the things you read the people eating on, on, on bulimic binges are really quite amazing. I mean, if you... Uh, imagining sitting down and, and eating a thing of mayonnaise is just very odd, but this is the sort of thing that gets... that it, Apparently, that, 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 anyway... But you, you stagger it in such a way so that you get at least uh, enough of the nutrients that you need um, before you go and purge that you're not starving yourself. And bulimia, unlike anorexia, can be a very long-term disorder. People can maintain body weight for a, uh, a long time doing this. Um, it's clearly not uh, adaptive. I mean, it's, it's, it's a success in, again, uh, in, in, in a limited sense, lets you eat and lets you maintain this, 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 this skinny weight. Um, but in many other ways, it's a disaster. First of all, repeated purging is very bad uh, for, it, you know, do a variety of bits of permanent damage to you um, physiologically. Um, it carries with it its own risk of, of mortality, again, typically from heart attack, from getting electrolytes sufficiently imbalanced to stop the heart. Um, and 
um, and it does uh, really bad things to that uh, hunger drive circuitry in, in places like your hypothalamus. Uh, because what happens is the, the, the body is smart. It says, we ate a half gallon of ice cream and a thing of mayonnaise. And we got this much caloric bounce out of that. You know, that's, 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 that's odd. I don't know what the problem here is, but I know how to adapt to that. Right? If it is the case that huge amounts of food are not providing me with, with the calories I, I need, me up in the hypothalamus here, well, the answer is something's wrong in the gut, but the answer is I better eat more. I've got to get, make this sucker hungrier. Ramp up the hunger. Bulimia, the word comes from to have an appetite like an ox, like a bull. Um, because what happens is that the body learns that food isn't doing it for you anymore, and you just keep eating it. You, it's, a, you, it it's, it's a vicious cycle. You've got to eat more and more. Well, this other, it's two chunks of your brain fighting, right? That, 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 this hardwired chunk of hunger drive is saying, need this many calories. If it takes, you know, this many truckloads of food to get it, well, go out and eat that truckload. You've got this other chunk of the brain saying, we're getting in those genes, man. So go and throw up again. And these two are fighting with each other in a way that's clearly at this point um, maladaptive. Now, we have this, the, the, the regular population away from the eating disorder population runs into the same problem, by the way, with diet foods. Right? Diet foods don't give you the caloric punch of regular foods. That's the whole idea. Right? So these little chunks of the brain say... Hey, eat twice as many. Right? See the label? It says half as much fat. Brain says eat twice as many. This is not this. this and, and, and the other thing it says is, you know, what do you like? Well, you're built to like. Brain says we like double stuffed Cheerios, uh, Cheerios, Oreos. <laughs> There's probably double stuffed Cheerios now too. Anyway, we like double stuffed Oreos because they've got lots of calories and, and we're, this little piece of my brain is still sal- you know, da, 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 foraging around on the savannah and, and, and when I found double stuffed uh, Oreos on the savannah, man, I could live for a week off of one of those suckers. Um, you know, it's great stuff. Now, you're eating the, the, the low-fat, reduced-everything version of this and the brain is saying... There's lousy stuff, man. You're eating barks and twigs, bark and twigs here. So, it doesn't taste good to me no more. Even though it tasted perfectly. This is one of the reasons why diet foods cycle through the supermarket much more rapidly than high-fat foods. Which is that any diet food tends to have a fall-off in its appeal to the population fairly rapidly. Um... Now, the, 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 the Oreos stay there forever because people love them. The reduced fat all twig Oreos have to be replaced next week by the, you know, low carb, reduced fat, high cardboard Oreos or something in a brand new package so that you'll go out and try it because, well, you know, those low fat ones, they were okay for a while, but, but, but my hypothalamus is now telling me they weren't that good. 
So you have to keep churning the product line in order to, to, to keep you happy. Um, treatment turns out to be much the same story um, as, as with, with uh, um, anorexia. Nothing by itself works. Uh, one, there are a couple of big differences. One is, as I said before, you can go for a very long time without seeking treatment. Because um, it, it's not as acute a disorder as full blast anorexia. Uh, is. It's not good for you, but you can maintain this. Plus, it's a very private disorder, and so you can tend to maintain it all by your little lonesome for a fairly long period of time. Um, the other thing is that it no longer turns out to be desperately interesting to talk to the family about this. You're outside the family, but in, in place of that, what turns out to be an interesting component of treatment is group therapy. This has been a very isolating disorder. And when you finally come to treatment, you say to yourself in some fashion, I am so weird. There's nobody else like me in the world. And that doesn't help you. Right? That, that, that's just depressing and, 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 and off-putting in its own right. If you're with a group of other people with a similar disorder, you're saying, look, hey, it turns out there are other people like this. We'll work through this thing together. And that turns out to have some therapeutic value. Again, like anorexia, people tend to get over this and then tend to have, to, to need to sort of be vigilant about food issues and vigilant about other such issues um, ongoing past that as if there were some underlying issue that, that hasn't, uh, hasn't quite been um, addressed. So, well, I think, I think what I will do, unless there's some... Oh, no, I got to all the various words on the handout. Look at that. Um, let's, let's take a break, and then what I'll do is at least set up the, uh, the problem of, of uh, coercive sexual behavior, and, and, and uh, we'll go on from there. Um, I don't know if it was important, but you these two points here. Oh, did I? Okay, I could say a word about that. Yes, because otherwise somebody will get it on when they're reviewing and want, not want to know something about it. Yes? Two, roughly two-thirds second half, one-third first half. But that's rough. Is there any good evolutionary psych reason that girls get anorexia? Or is it just that we idealize the girls? I think that the, 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 the mainline argument, I think, is, is um, that, that the pressures are exerted on girls much more than boys. That if, if the ideal guy had... Uh, there are sort of dis- there, there are uh, sort of muscle building ish disorders in guys that, that, that might be comparable. Um, is it formally diagnosed? I don't know. I would. I, I, I would I would be amazed if it wasn't because everything is formally diagnosed somewhere. Um, but but you know the, 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 what, what really shows up there I think is is uh, substance abuse, right? That 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 it, it's 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 in this culture it's much less that you get somebody who's pathologically working out in the gym, though I'm sure that happens. But they they, they go and pop enough steroids to get themselves into trouble. Okay, there's a whole... I don't actually know much about the whole set of self-harming disorders. Actually, I should probably sometime teach myself something about it because there's another pathology that is um, uh, new, I think. 
that, or, or if, it, if it's not new, it was, it was, it was deeply hidden before. The, the, the notion of people cutting themselves and things like that. Um, so I, it may be that there's, there's a, I, I don't know anything about it, but there may well be a, 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 a make yourself throw up in the self-harming kind of category. But. Yes, yes, yes. The, 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 I read an article about it at one point where, where people are busy encouraging them, each other in their eating disorders. Not wholesome, I wouldn't yeah, say. Wait, but did they change the at all? Or like the way interactive I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's widespread enough to be... I mean, I, 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 I've just seen a couple of, uh, you know, I think sort of popular press things about it. I, I, I just don't know how widespread that is. I know who to ask at MIT, but there are a couple of people who are good experts on that at MIT. But anyway, um, the dangers—the dangers of relatively complete uh, handouts or comparatively complete handouts—is that if I don't then hit all the lines on the handout, um, there, 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 there's a danger that somebody's going to want to know what I meant by magic cures for imperfections and the superwoman myth. So let's jump back to societal pressures for, uh, for to, uh, pushing people towards anorexia. Um, one of the, 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 the magical cure thing uh, is, is the notion that we're a culture that firmly believes that you should be able to cure your problems right now and without too much real hard work. So that um, if you are not sexy enough, here is the mouthwash, the, um, uh, the, 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 the clothes, and, and, the, uh, and the six amazing acts that you can perform in the privacy of your own room um, that will, will do it all for you. And you can read these at the supermarket checkout, right? One of my favorite, I mean, you get stuck at the supermarket checkout. I, I, I love bouncing down the, the, uh, just the, the headlines of, of the, uh, what, what are described as the women's magazines, Cosmo being the best of these, because Cosmo is always willing to make you completely sexy by next month. And amazingly, they need to do it all again the next month. But, um, you know, this move will drive your man wild once a month on, on the... Uh, uh, anyway, it's great stuff. Um, at least I suppose it's great stuff. I don't get to read the journal much. It's not, it's not one of the technical journals in my field. Um, but, all right, so there's the magic cure piece. And then there, the, the superwoman myth, which, uh, which many um, of the superwomen here may relate to, is, the, uh, uh, is, is a... I can't remember who coined the term, but the idea, it's, it's the idea of the woman, or the guy for that matter, who can do it all, right? She's, she's got the high-powered uh, uh, career based on her great MIT degree, um, and she also is the mother of 15 um, and, and, and uh, making it to all the school plays and, 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 and making the food and, of course, knitting the clothes by hand and, and, and stuff like that. Um, there's typically not a similar Superman myth because even in, in these more egalitarian days, it still remains the case that the burden of child-rearing falls more heavily on the, on the female than on the male, typically across, um, across culture. Across, across this culture. Um, so if anybody is going to be 
massively stressed out by trying to balance the home and, and, and career thing, it's more likely to be the woman. At least uh, that, that, that's the argument that's being made here. Um, all right, let me jump then to this, uh, this other topic of, of coercive sexual behavior. And um, let, me, let me advocate that you should um, take advantage of your time in Cambridge sometime to go to the American Repertory Theater um, just off the Harvard campus, across the street from uh, um, Radcliffe. Um, because I think my recollection is, actually I haven't checked lately because I haven't been a student for a long time. Students used to get in amazingly cheaply. Um, and, and so you should do this. Uh, they, they put on a range of plays from modern to classic, but almost always with some kind of out there attitude about it. So I, I, I remember this great production of, um, of Handel, yeah, Handel's, uh, Handel Opera, um, which they had decided to set... Um, act one was set in a uh, trailer park in, in a Florida swamp, um, and Act two was set on Mars, um, neither of which I believe were described as the settings in the original libretto. Um, Somebody you know, said that, that kind of thing. Anyway, some years ago, um, I, I saw a production of, of Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream there, um, and at the beginning of the play, what they had done was they staged... Um, a, 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 a practice fight. It was clear that these were um, two, uh, uh, two knights um, you know, tr- practicing rather than fighting in an actual battle, sparring with each other. Um, and they're whacking away at each other. You know, the lights come up and they're whacking away at each other. And finally, one of them flattens the other and, and uh, pulls a sword as it is at the neck of, 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 of the guy on the ground. And at that point, um, the lines you hear are, Hippolyta, I wooed thee with my sword and won thy love doing thee injuries, but I will wed thee in another key with pomp, with triumph, and with reveling. Um, what the ART had done was at the moment that the fight was over, um, the guy on the floor is reciting those lines. And um, the other person takes off her helmet. And, of course, to make it dramatic, her big hair fluffs out all over the place. Um, and um, the, 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 the beginning of, of, of uh, um, Midsummer Night's Dream is the setup. The, the setup is that there's going to be a wedding between Theseus, Duke of Athens, and Hippolyta, the queen of the Amazons, who he has conquered and is now going to um, marry. But the notion of, I wooed thee with my sword and won thy love doing thee injuries, does not sit well, in, uh, in, in, at least not in a Cambridge academic kind of setting. Um, and, and so uh, the ART played this against type. Right, with, with, with Theseus on, on the floor. Say, I wooed thee with my sword. Get that thing away from my neck. Um, the... Um, <coughs> But it's an interesting, curious thought that you might woo somebody with your sword and win their love doing them injuries. Um, it's, uh, I, I suspect there aren't very many women present who, might, uh, who, who would subscribe to the notion that that would be a marvelous form of courtship um, and, and, and maybe not even an awful lot of guys. But, um, but 
forms of uh, relations that become coercive are by no means unheard of. And the place we typically end up hearing about them is when they end up in court. Um, how do they end up in court? Well, let me tell you a court case. This, this happened um, about 10 years ago now. This is a court case where a woman is suing a, a, uh, a collection of... Uh, she's suing them? or No, I, I, think, I, I think this was actually a rape case in a criminal court. Um, they're, they're charged with rape, um, and, and, and she's the plaintiff. What happened? Um, well, considerable disagreement about what happened when you end up in court, but what basically seems to have happened is that, these, that um, the woman and one of the guys met at, uh, I think it was rifle practice, some sort of athletic practice. Um, he invited her back to his, uh, his residence. Um, alcohol followed, and um, she ended up having some variety of sexual relations with like six different guys. Um, and subsequently, um, uh, it subsequently charged them with rape. Um, she argued that uh, um, that she had been passing in and out of consciousness and, and that they had basically abused her. They argued that this was consensual. Um, I think what happened in this particular case, um, by the way, is that, that there was no conviction for rape, but, uh, but several of the guys ended up being expelled from school. Um, there are lots of things one could talk about here. I, I'm not in the business... Um, for, for a psych course of, of, of giving a sort of an RO week lecture about, about you know, good behavior or something like that. Um, but the, the interesting issue, well, there are lots of interesting psych issues. The interesting psych issue that I want to focus on is the question of how this could come to pass given that probably nobody wanted it to come to pass. It is extremely unlikely that... Um, she went to whatever it was, rifle practice, saying, oh gee, I think I'll go home with this guy, get smashed out of my mind, and have sex with all of his roommates. It just doesn't seem likely. It does, and it, nor does it seem very likely that he said to himself, oh, I think I'll take this friend of mine home, and we'll all have too much to drink, and, 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 and she'll have sex with everybody under the sun. So it, it, it's pretty clear that this is not what um, anybody particularly had in mind. How does it come to pass? Oh, look at that. I must have said that on the handout. What am I talking about next? Lots of questions, most of which we cannot address. Um, All right. So, let's address some of the ones we can address. As it says, they're very gender-specific problem. There There are certainly instances of um, sexual coercion going the other, uh, you know, female on male sexual coercion. And within um, homosexual relationships, there are certainly instances of, of sexual coercion. Um, but the great bulk of these cases are male on, on female coercion. Um, in, in, in fact, uh, the female on male coercion uh, um, uh, incidence is vastly higher um, in, in, in the erotic literature than it is in reality, apparently. Because, you know, well, it, it's, remember the example from earlier on about imagine that 
um, you're going, you're on on the subway, and some uh, uh, member of the sex that you find attractive begins to touch you surreptitiously on a crowded subway car. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Women uniformly say this is not good, and guys, well, not quite uniformly, say, eh, okay. <laughs> it's you can get similar data. Um, you can get similar data uh, with with with, with, um, with coercive. Uh, Relations, um, you know the it's the leather-bound woman who shows up and says, "You're having sex with me right now." Is 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 a fantasy figure, right? The leather-bound guy who comes up to a woman and says, "You're having sex with me right now," is not typically a fantasy figure, not in this right. So there's there's this there's this odd asymmetry there. Um, so. There are, there are lots of ways to understand how this could, um, uh, could come to pass. One of the reasons, as I said earlier, for making this a, uh, an end-of-the-term kind of topic is it, it, is it does sort of neatly recapitulate an awful lot of the themes about causality that, that have shown up in the, in the um, in the course of the term. And then uh, what I'll probably oh, very clearly do next time is, is weave a story that combines many different threads into one. Let me, let me just say a word about um, incidents today and then we'll go on to etiology um, when, we t- when we pick up next time. How common is this as a problem? Well, you've got a real problem here, which I have mentioned before, which is the data on sexual behavior are lousy. Um, because people don't, well, first of all, we don't collect that much of it, and second of all, people lie. Um, Recall that if you ask males how many sexual partners have you had, and you ask females how many sexual partners have you had, you discover that there's a third sex out there somewhere. Um, Because the math doesn't add up. You see that too um, in, uh, well, maybe you you see that in in the data on, on, uh, that's gotten basically from survey data, um, on, on coercive sex. If you ask females how many, um, uh, have you ever been coerced into, uh, in, into sexual intercourse? Uh, in at least one study, the answer is 15% of women say yes. If you ask men, how many of you, ha- have you ever coerced anybody into having sexual intercourse? Only 7% of males say yes. Now, there are a number of possible explanations, um, like serial coercers or things of that sort. But you can see that there may be reporting issues that are difficult there. One last point on this, if you ask, uh, on the incidence point, if you ask... Um, have you ever, uh, well, 25% of women in, in one study back from the mid-80s reported um, in, uh, intercourse because, um, quote, they were overwhelmed by a man's continual arguments and pressure. Um, that's an interesting statistic in a couple of ways. First of all, it's interesting because it's quite high. Second of all, it's interesting because it points out the uh, very distinct status of sexual relationships. If I am coerced into buying a used car um, by the man's continual arguments and pressure, that's too bad, right? If I decide that 
I'm going to strangle. Who am I going to strangle? Oh, I don't know. I won't strangle anybody in particular. Oh, maybe I'll strangle Kristen because she was laughing at me earlier. Um, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll strangle Kristen um, because I was pressured by Anna's continuous verbal demands or something like that to do this. Um, you know, I can make the case that, that, that it was her demands that made me do this, um, but I'm still going to jail. It's not, it doesn't explain away my behavior. Sexual, sexual relations are interestingly different from other relations in that way. Um, and okay, we'll pick up on, on at our last meeting on, on how this all comes to pass.